for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Uh, today, we have somebody very special. We have Shana Rose. How's it going today, Shana? Hi, Tom. It's great. How are you? Doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. You know, just living in Central Texas, enjoying the, I guess I could say I'm enjoying the weather. It's not been too godly hot yet, but, you know. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. How's uh, things going in Nashville? Things are great here. Weather's beautiful. Springtime is a beautiful uh, time in Nashville. So I, I too, am soaking it up until I'm soaking with humidity yes. <laughs> by the time real summer kicks in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because it's like I told my dad when I was getting ready to move out here, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go move back west because one thing I liked about living in New Mexico, there was no such thing as humidity. And I hope Central Texas is like that. He started laughing at me, and now I completely understand why. It's like, oh, I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is my first experience with humidity because I grew up in Colorado where there's no humidity. And then I lived in Los Angeles for 18 years where there's really no humidity. So yeah. I'm learning all kinds of new things about myself, my hair, yeah. my skin. <laughs> yep. And it, it's really is a big thing because I lived in northern Florida for two years, and Florida does crazy things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For so. sure. But first of all, thank you for jumping on the podcast. Really appreciate it. I'm glad we got this set up, and um, I'm really excited to sit down, talk to you, get to know you a little bit more. So, Absolutely. Um, thank you. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we usually like to do from the beginning is take a step back and get to know you a little bit and your origin story and all that stuff. So what's kind of your origin story? What got you into music? You know, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, music was, it's kind of strange. It was like intrinsically a part of me from the time I was a little kid. And uh, I don't know if you remember this show, Tom, or, or if anyone who's watching remembers this show, but I was obsessed with Kids Incorporated. Do you remember that show, Tom? Kids Incorporated? Vague, vaguely. It was basically just like a bunch of young people and these, you know, kind of small storylines, but they all sang and danced. And I was just, it called me. Um, and it's funny because nobody in my family, my immediate family really did music. Everyone loved music, but... It wasn't like it was um, offered up to me in any way. It was just sort of like coming through me and something I always wanted to do. So I begged for voice lessons for as many years as I can remember. Um, and my mom was calling around and people were just like, we don't take five-year-olds <laughs> for voice lessons. <laughs> like, it's not a thing. Five-year-olds yeah. don't take voice lessons. Yeah. Um, but she found somebody who said, okay, you know what? At eight years old, she could start taking voice lessons. And so on my eighth birthday, marched downstairs and I was like, okay, 
voice lessons, right? Like I made it. Yeah. Um, and again, she made a bunch of phone calls and there was one woman where I grew up in Denver who said, look, I really don't take on kids. This isn't what I do, but I understand your dilemma. You told your daughter she could do this by eight years old. So you know what, bring her in and we'll do a lesson as a birthday present. Mm -hmm. And so my mom was of course thrilled and thought, all right, this is gonna finally like get me off her back. And after the first lesson with um, my very first voice teacher ever, she told my mom, you know what? I, I think that Shana really has what it takes to become a singer and I'm gonna take her on as a student, even though I don't teach kids. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where it started. And from there, she encouraged me to audition for local musical theater. And I, I started doing that regularly uh, every year until I graduated high school and then ultimately decided to move to LA. So that was sort of, that was sort of how the whole thing got started in some way. It was just like accidental. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so it was like the musical theater stuff that ultimately got you into wanting to pursue acting as well? Was Exactly. So, you know, I kind of thought like, all right, well, if I have to learn to act in order to be able to sing, you know, I'll roll with it. Um, so it's kind of funny. Acting wasn't really like my first destination. It was definitely like by proxy of yeah. who, who, when you're under 21 years old, where can you get up on a stage and sing? It was like, oh, you know, in a play, in a musical. So that was, that was where I found my start. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and so you said you're from, or you were right, born and raised in uh, Colorado. And did you move straight to LA from Colorado? And you pretty much, you pretty much lived your entire life up until you moved out to LA in Colorado? Yeah, yeah. I spent, you know, my, my whole young life growing up in Denver. And um, when it came time to go to college, it was kind of you know, this big decision, like whether or not to go to a music conservatory or a musical arts academy. And I had gotten scholarships to a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a lot of people who said, you're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money. And at the end of the day, not a lot of people are going to care mm -hmm. um, because degrees in the arts are just not looked at in the same mm -hmm. way. Yeah. And That's so they said, you know, the best decision you could probably make is just go to LA right now. So yeah. I graduated high school. I decided to defer college. I moved to LA a month after graduation by myself. I did not know one person there. And I moved in with the roommate that I lived with for three years the day I moved in with her. So I was really lucky that that wasn't like a terrible nightmare story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it, it, cause when you say that uh, you actually turned down a scholarship to go to Berkeley, School. I did for songwriting. Yes, yeah. that you know, like I've heard a lot of mixed stories about Berkeley. Like some friends, they went and just took like class, like picked and choose like classes. Some went and graduated. Some like went and dropped out. And but I've never actually heard somebody that got a scholarship and declined it. Like or I don't. Yeah, it was a crazy choice. You know. <laughs> And we never know how things are really going to work out. Maybe it would have been better um, if I had gone. Whatever better means, you know, yeah. like hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, and I've had a lot of success, so I'm not really sure that I could say that. Um, I do sometimes look back and think what I might have learned more of is uh, developing skills for being a live performing artist sooner than I did mm -hmm. um, for my own material, you know, for yeah. my own songs. 
because I was so used to just like putting on a character and singing other people's material that that wasn't something I was very used to. And I remember doing my first live gigs in LA and that being my first really uh, nerve wracking experience performing because it was just so outside of what I had done before. So I think Berkeley might have served me in that way. And yet at the same time, I've heard so many people come out of the program and say that they feel like it put them too much in a box mm -hmm. and that it didn't actually develop their true artistry because developing true artistry really comes from a much more organic process. So yeah, yeah it was kind of a crazy move, but, but I think it worked out, I, <laughs> I hope. Yeah, you know, and I mean, ultimately you got to be true to yourself and know is this really where I want to be is this really what I want to do and only you can answer that question like a million people could give you input and advice but ultimately it comes down to you for sure for sure and there was something in me I had visited LA the year prior to, to graduation and there was just something in me that was like this is where you need to go this is where you need to be so I just followed that instinct awesome awesome um first off i i just want to comment i'm re i really appreciate the proper lighting that you put on because i see oh, your two lights you. on in the back there and it's like wow proper lighting sweet i enjoy that <laughs> so well, i try i try yeah um so when you moved out to la uh what actually well there, there's a part in the interview where we like to uh talk about things that we've learned and stuff so we're going to kind of dabble into that here a little bit what were some of the things that you learned when you first out, moved out to LA? Hey. Whoa, uh, where do I start? Gosh, there's so many things, Tom. Um, you know, I think the biggest lesson I learned that I continue to learn throughout my entire time there is just like networking, networking, networking. And you hear it all the time in every industry. Um, but it really is true. I mean, the foundation of everything that happens to us in our lives is relationships, whether that's personal or professional. And I think it took me a little while uh, because as we all know, that's like not something we really learn in school. No one sits you down and is like, here's how to network, here's how to meet people, here's how to develop these relationships. So that was a hurdle uh, for me at first. And I think the other thing that I learned was uh, be careful what people tell you. There really are so many people in the entertainment industry trying to take advantage of people's dreams and hopes and aspirations. And so you have to really make sure you vet and research the people you're talking to which is much easier now when i moved to la you had to like call people yeah. and say hey have you ever heard of this person you know does this person sound familiar have you ever heard of this company other than that like yeah maybe you could look up a website but you there wasn't the kind of access that we have now so it's sort of a blessing mm -hmm. um but i would say like even nowadays people get really taken advantage of when they yeah. first you know move to to LA or New York. So like, make sure you really research who you're, who's promising you stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like, I think it's just not even being in LA, just people that are looking from the out, looking outside in, you know, like when we first started doing the live and amplified thing, the first year I had sent some of our episodes off to various like film festivals and one of them or a few of them were out in LA. It was like, you know what? Let, let's see if we can get this out in front of some people in LA. And it got into one of these film festivals and a guy called me. He's like, Hey, I work for a distributor. Um, we're really interested in the series. Love to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, you know, cool. Great. 
well, let's talk. So we started talking and he, first off, he had his uh, partner who was the stunt double for the pink Power Ranger in the original, uh, like the original series there. And I'm like, okay, that's a weird name drop, but whatever. And so I talked to her for a little bit and she was like buttering me up the entire time. And then I got on the phone with him and he was like, so does this sound like something you're interested in? And I'm like, possibly, but let me think on it for a day. And he sent me all his information, his website. And I looked at it and one of a guy that I'd been watching on YouTube for years, one of his films that he had produced was distributed through this company. And so I was like, you know what? I know this guy decently well. We've had a few conversations in the past. I'm going to message him and say, Hey, I got contacted by this guy. I saw your films distributed through them. Let me know what you think. He's like, dude, don't do it. They took advantage of me. Like I, they, they owe me like tens of thousands of dollars right now. It's so true. And, you know, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm starting to do a little bit of uh, mentoring for younger mm -hmm. people who want to get into the industry. And a, and a question I get a lot of times is like, hey, they're offering me this opportunity and they want me to pay this much. And immediately, you know, alarm <laughs> bells are going off for me. And I'm like, no, no, yeah. there's nothing legit in the industry, more or less, that ever makes you pay for anything. Yeah. Not an agent, not a manager, not an audition, not a record label. Like if somebody's telling you that you need to pay, like mm -hmm. they are just trying to make money. That's it. Like yeah. done. So yeah, I mean, good for you, Tom. Good for you that you took yeah. the time to like research and find out. Well, and the, the only, like the real reason why I was researching is like, cause I knew that this was something that we were going to be putting a lot of time and effort in. And I didn't want like them to be, oh, we own half of this now or like something because I hadn't even seen a contract or anything, but like I didn't want it to be one of those situations where they own like half of it and I've been building up this entire thing and now they own half of it. So it's just like, you know, one of those deals, but yeah, yeah. So had I not seen uh, that one guy's film on there, I probably would have been suckered into some sort of deal, you know? Yep. Yep. So, so smart to do your research. So yeah. smart. But so you've been out in, or you were out in LA for a while. Uh, when did you start like jumping into the acting and start picking up acting gigs and stuff like that? Yeah. So I, you know, I was doing the like poor musician thing for a few years and I was really struggling um, and it kind of started because my mom had called and said, you know, why don't you at least audition for commercials? Mm -hmm. um, like maybe something will come of it and you'll start to make a little bit of money that way. And I thought, okay, but I didn't really know how to get an agent um, by myself out in LA. So I, I took an acting class just to sort of there you go, network, yeah. um, right? You know, mm -hmm. and, and just try to learn from people who were, had been out there longer than me doing it and, and just talk and, and see how they were um, progressing in, in terms of developing their careers. So I actually really hit it off with the acting teacher um, and he really liked my work and, and felt like I was doing really well in his class. So he introduced me to a manager friend of his 
um, that he knew. And at the time, actually, they didn't have room to take me on. And again, that was like the only person I had met. So I was like, well, I guess, what do I do now? So I just thought, okay, well, I'm gonna keep in touch with this management company. And so throughout the next six months, I would just check in every once in a while, say, hey, you know, I'm still really interested in being represented with you guys. You know, do you have any openings? And finally they wrote me back and they were like, yeah, actually come audition for us again. And so I did and, and they signed me and then that ended up getting me an agent. They ended up getting me an agent. And then I, I finally just started auditioning for like legit projects. Um, and my first role was one speaking line on Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Um, so it was just, you know, and then, and then it just kind of started snowballing from there. So it, it, yeah, it was just kind of, at first it was like, which no one in their right mind goes into acting to make money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I know a great way to make money. I'll become an actor. Like, oh, yeah. that's not real. No. Um, but my, you know, we say my mom kind of has this sixth sense, you know, she has this intuition. And so she must have just known, like saying, go audition for commercials, that something magical would happen. Yeah. Actually, on our podcast last night, we were talking about, uh, I was interviewing, or we had another girl from, L or not from LA, she currently lives out in LA. And uh, we were talking about the horror stories of being an extra out in, on feature films. And I was telling her the story about, um, I did uh, extra work for the Independence Day sequel that came out a few years back. Uh-huh. And the first of all, you laugh because I think you know why it's funny. That movie was such a cluster. Like they shot ended up shooting it twice essentially. <laughs> and and th this is why I knew that it was doomed to be fail because they brought me in to be an extra like a extra for one role. And then I get there at like eight in the morning. They're like, oh, hey, you'd be really good as an extra, as a soldier, not as a civilian. So would you like to be a soldier instead? And I'm like, yeah, what, like, when, when does that happen? Oh, you don't have to be here till 8 p.m. tonight. I'm like, okay, well, it's 8 a.m. So do I just leave and then come back? They're like, well, you could do that, or we'll just let you sit in the corner and we'll continue to pay you all day. And I'm like, okay. So I went yeah. and sat in the corner, <laughs> just started eating the food, and I sat there for 12 hours, and then it was just kind of like, okay. And then I ended up falling asleep on set. Oh, <laughs> so. uh, yes, falling asleep on set. That's happened to me numerous times. Actually, it's funny. I did some extra work as well when I was first – um, there and again just trying to get some experience and um, yeah when you're not prepared for the long hours like I got really used to 15 hour long days 17 hour long days it can be brutal and so much of that is just sitting around and you're right like eating at craft services um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's an intense experience well it, normally I'd be all right like a 12 15 hour day isn't anything for me but I had to wake up at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. because it took me three hours to get to set because I live three hours away. And I had to be at set by 7, 7 or whatever. And then we didn't get released almost until 1 in the morning. Yeah. And so, like, once we got to a point, it was, like, midnight. 
they finally called us to set and they're like, okay, it's your scene. And the casting director or whoever came over to me was like, all right, we want you to play a dead soldier laying in this bed over here. And I'm like, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and so I go and I lay down and the guy that's playing the extra doctor guy, he comes over, he's like, okay, so I'm pretending to check on you. You know, you're, you're dying, you're dying. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'm going to close my eyes. And if I don't move when they say break or it's a wrap, just kind of give me a little nudge and say, okay, dude, we're done. And like an hour and a half later, he's like, Hey dude, we're done. And I'm like, Whoa, did I really fall asleep? He's like, yeah, it was pretty funny. And I'm like, Whoa, right, cool. Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I would have to be on set, you know, sometimes four o'clock in the morning yeah. and I am not a morning person at all. Yeah. Um, and so I had this whole routine that I would do where I basically stayed in my pajamas. I had these like boot slipper Uggs, Uggs that I would wear to set and like a big, uh, you know, kind of like squishy jacket sweater and basically half asleep, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, I would drive to set and everyone just knew like, don't talk to Shayna when she gets to set that early in the morning. Like <laughs> I needed to get my hair and makeup done, eat my breakfast, drink my coffee. And maybe at around 7 a.m. people could start conversing with me <laughs> and I could try to be a human being. <laughs> <laughs> but so after you did the Gilmore Girls things, you started picking up some bigger roles, right? You were on like Days of, Days of Our Lives and then you were on yeah. like a Nick Jr. show or something? Yeah, yeah. So I, so my first like big series regular role was um, as Stephanie Johnson on Days of Our Lives, which was a really big deal because the actors who played my parents uh, were, you know, a Days of Our Lives power super couple yeah. uh, that had been on the show for forever and ever that they were bringing back. So it was like this really big deal um, that I was coming back to play their daughter. And then, yeah, I went on um, after that to do, you know, a bunch of guest stars. And then, yeah, eventually, uh, landed uh, the role of Marina on the Fresh Beat Band um, and did that for for four years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was the longest run that I had had on a series um, as a regular. And it was, you know, it's really amazing to be a part of something like that. Awesome. And throughout this entire time, are you still doing music? Well, I mean, the Fresh Beat Band was obviously like musically themed, but like, were you working on your own music throughout all this? Always, always. Um, in fact, if we rewind back to days of our lives, um, I remember being on set, you know, finishing up my scenes and then, you know, bringing my CDs and my demos over to the music supervisor's department, <laughs> trying to pedal my songs, um, even though I was an actress on the show. Yeah. So yeah, that was like always still in my, it was what I really wanted to do. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I actually took the Nickelodeon show was because it was musical. And I really wanted people to start seeing me and associating me with, with music and being a singer and a performer. So I think that that was a really good decision um, just so that people started to make that connection. Like, oh, she's not just an actress. She really does this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so then from there, so now you're primarily just focusing on your music. That's your main. Yeah. So I, I, um, I finally decided to learn how to produce because that was the thing that was, I think really holding me back for a long time was that, um, 
you know, when you don't have anyone to make your music for you in the music industry, you you kind of have one of two choices. One, you're like, pay out the wazoo for someone to, you know, produce these songs for you, you know, or two, like you're at the mercy kind of of signing everything that you own away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally I was like, you know what? I know there's not a lot of female producers, but like I need to empower myself. So I took a logic course. I got Apple certified in logic and I was sort of off to the races um, yeah. in the sense that like I was finally, you know, cause I'm a piano player and I've been playing piano since I was eight years old. And then I learned drums on Fresh Beat Band. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of like starting production with um, a lot of good basics, but it was hard. The first few years of producing were hard. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this. There's so many nuances. Um, But after a while, you know, after those 10,000 hours or whatever it is, I finally, it finally started clicking. And so that's what's really taken my music now to the next level because I'm making it all myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And so you, you pretty much, or well, you took a course for logic, you said, right? I did. I did. You know, I tried to learn myself for a while, like on YouTube or whatever. And I'm just not, a. I don't learn like that. I'm not good at, at that. And I really need a teacher and that live experience and someone I could ask questions to. So I just, I was like, okay, I have to just commit to this um, and, and take this class. It was the best thing I ever did. Awesome. Awesome. And so when, when you sit down to like, work on your music, whether it's writing, producing, what, what's kind of your creative process when you sit down and like, okay, I'm ready to start working on a new song or a. Yeah. So it's, um, my, my music work is really my life journal in every way. So I, I do sit down and I do have co-writing sessions where, you know, I, I like intentionally write. Um, but most of the time, I'm going through something and I'm like, okay, I need to work through this. And the way that I work through it is by writing a song. It's like, helps me process my emotions. It helps me process my thoughts and it helps me kind of get it out. Like, you know, some people, I might write an angry letter to somebody like, you know, you're pissed off and you're like, oh, I'm going to write this person a letter. Well, for me, that's a song. Like I just put all that into a song. Um, and so my creative process is, is shockingly fluid because it's coming from this place of emotion. And so when you're coming from that like authentic emotive place, you're not thinking so much about, well, like what are people gonna think of this? Or um, what artist is this song gonna end up with? Like you're not analyzing what you're doing. You're, it's just like uh, free flowing. And then I kind of do the same with the production. If I can, like I'll actually, get as quickly from writing the song into producing the song so that I almost stay in that state so that the music is a reflection of the emotion. Um, and I, and I just kind of like let everything come at one time. So for me, that's sort of like, I really use it. I really use the emotion to, to push it out rather than, you know, the analytical process of writing. Cause I find, and I find that when I coach other artists in, in doing that, oh my gosh, you should see how much easier the songs come out and how much more real and authentic they are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, because usually I tell, when I'm working with people, I tell them to like work off of, um, don't run off of emotions. But when it comes to music, it's just like, usually when you're running off of emotions, 
you tend to be a lot truer to yourself. Yes. Yes. And so, and, and that that's where like the really good music, because people can tell when you're being authentic versus just speaking some BS because you right. think it sounds good. <laughs> that's right. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. So, um, what are, musically, what are you kind of working on right now? Yes. So I, I have an album that I've been working on that um, I'm just sort of like trying to get together the, honestly, actually the courage um, to like finalize the release. Um, and I know that sounds like a funny thing to say, but um, so much of it is about my life over the past few years. And I think that I'm a perfectionist and I kind of like, I just have this vision for what I want to do with it and, and how I want to put it out. And I'm just like, kind of like cherishing that a little bit because I don't have anyone pressuring me. It's all on my own. And so um, I'm really looking forward to putting that out and I've been working on that. And then before that happens, I actually have a single I'm going to be putting out um, in the next couple of months called Someone Loves You. Um, that's actually about the pandemic uh, and kind of what I was experiencing and thinking about when I, I needed some energy in the pandemic i was just starting to get like so down and, and so sad and reflective on you know like how do we find happiness when so much around us feels like it's kind of falling apart and, and it's kind of a lot about getting back to the basics of what's actually important so i'm really excited to be putting that out and i'm going to be putting that out with a fan video i had a lot of um amazing fans send in videos that I'm currently compiling and editing footage together um, to release that for a video with the song. So I'm super excited. Nice. Awesome. And um, you're producing, you're hundred percent producing it. You're a hundred. Are you a hundred percent independent right now? Or do you have all like a the things a hundred percent independent, a hundred percent songwriter, a hundred percent producing. Um, yeah. The only thing that I, I didn't do was master it. Um, so it's, uh, these are really like, these are really my babies. You know, mm. these songs are like my total, total creation um, without any outside influence whatsoever. Just like, you know, again, organic and authentic to me. So um, it's like a real privilege to be putting them out. Now I have a serious question because okay. when you say you didn't master it, you actually paid somebody to master it for you. Not yes. one of those computer programs that'll no like a real grammy award-winning mixer actually his name is uh pete lyman and he masters for infrasonics and he's amazing and um he made the song just like come to life even so much more and it was so worth it thank you that's all i've ever been trying to get across to people because I, I you know ever since i started doing live and amplified about three time or three three months out of the year, depending on you know whatever, I get bombarded with these softwares that say, "Hey, pay ninety nine dollars and we'll master your stuff for you." And you put it through the software, and it just like masters it. And it's like, no, that that stuff is terrible. I've heard the finished product. No. Well, so, so much I think of what people don't realize is that it's about taste yeah right and like who a computer can't have taste yeah 
um, people have taste. And that's why also picking the right person is very important. Um, and not even when it comes to mixing or production. Um, you know, I know a lot of young people uh, buying beats off uh, YouTube right now or wherever. Um, and it's like, they're missing the piece of having someone that is a tastemaker uh, kind of walk them through and, and teach them on what it means to have taste and how to choose things and how to hear things. Mm -hmm. So not having any human being as any part of your creative process to give you reflection on things yeah. is, is not really effective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I used to get emails and Facebook messages and Instagram messages all the time saying, Hey, do you need beats? I'm selling these 20 beats for $15 or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm sure they sound cool, but you're giving me that offer. You're giving me or that person that offer. You're giving a thousand other people that offer. So you're going to have a thousand people with the same 20 beats. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, I think actually we're sort of seeing a reflection of that in the music industry right now. Yeah. You know, I think that like what we hear is a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. And I think that I hear everyday people talk to me about music and they're like, I just feel like everything sounds the same. And it's like, yeah. what you're talking about right now is one of the reasons that everything sounds the same. Everyone's yeah. pulling from the same resources. Everybody's using the same beats. They're, they're getting sounds and music from the same places. And it's kind of a shame. It's like we're getting music's kind of starting to get diluted into like this one kind mm -hmm. of homogenous sounding thing. And I'm always looking for the artists that are that want to do something totally different, totally yeah. outside the box, whether it sounds old school or like something we've never heard before, like just anything besides the mainstream yeah. is exciting to me for that yeah. very reason. Yeah. Well, and what's really scary right now is, well, two things are really scaring me right now. There's people that are downloading and trying to sell, I don't want to say it's, it's technically copywritten music, but they'll sell the music that still has like the little audio tag in it. So like, if you know, if you go to like audio jungle or whatever, like yep. just so you can't steal, it has the audio jungle just randomly said throughout the entire thing. There's one guy produces a song. And I can hear the audio jungle in the beat in the background. I'm like, hey, man, where'd you, where'd you get this uh, beat from? He's like, oh, I bought it off a buddy of mine. I was like, do you know that he stole it from this website? Because I could still hear the audio tag in it. He's like, oh, I just thought that was the beat. And I'm like, no, man, that's like, he stole it. Like, he downloaded it. He downloaded the demo. And they didn't remove the audio tag from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, you know, again, it's like part of the capitalist fast food mentality we've all got going on, right? Like we want things faster, cheaper, easier. Yep. And it's like, um, that, that should always be a warning, <laughs> you know, like if you know, right, Tom, it's like, if something is too easy to get and too inexpensive, there's something that's not right, yep, especially yep. when you're talking about a human creation, like a three minute long piece of music that took a lot of time to make. If it, ha if it's of any quality and value, like <laughs> nobody's selling that for $15 really. Unless mm -hmm. it's again, it just kind of a slap together thing that 
that really was not um, original or took them any effort. That's just other people's stuff that they're kind of repurposing. So, yeah. And then the other, the other thing that blows my mind is when people do end up paying a whole bunch of money for a beat and they don't even get the stems. Like it's just a straight up MP3 of the beat and they don't get the stems to go in and kind of customize like, oh, well, I don't really like the snares in here. So I want to remove the snares and see what it sounds like. They don't even get the stems. And it's like, you're paying hundreds of dollars for this beat and they just give you the MP3 and that's it. Well, you know, and there's kind of a perfect example of like so many people, they don't even know what stems really are, right? Mm -hmm. they, don't, they, You know, there's so many young people getting into the industry that don't really have a formal education in the music business. And so they, half them don't even know to ask for stems. Yeah. Um, so this is where, again, like, it's so important to like really be an expert in your craft and be fully developed in your craft and like have this understanding that um, this is art. And this stuff, like it, it takes time and, and there's an education to it, even if it's not a formal education. There's things you need to learn, like get in the studio, work with producers, work with songwriters. Like, you know, it's gonna give you invaluable information that's gonna allow you to save pain and time and money mm -hmm. from the things that like you're talking about, the scammers and the stuff that like people who don't know any better, you have to learn, you gotta educate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And like it, that, even going into like live performances, like I originally when we started doing live in Amplify, it was 100%, you had to perform your own music. Like you had to either, play guitar, piano, some sort of instrumentation. But as we kind of move on, as we've moved on over the last five years, we've started to realize not everybody has that ability. And so we've been trying to figure out ways to start incorporating people that have like backing tracks and stuff of that nature. But even doing like live, live stuff with people with backing tracks, we've worked with some hip hop acts that'll just bring their CD and they'll do ad libs over their CD. And it's like, no, you need like an actual backing track, not just your CD. Like, so just educating yourself on how to do live performances. If you can't sit there and have somebody actually producing, cause like a lot of hip hop acts, they'll have like the turntables or they'll have like an actual band, depending on how far, how long they are, you know? Yeah, totally. So, but yeah, so that that was a nice little tirade. I, I felt good about that one. Okay, good. <laughs> I but, like it. And I think it's good. I think it's good to let people know, like, learn your craft, you know? All of us learned our craft. Like, um, even when I was young and, you know, growing up doing musical theater and stuff, it's funny, I was getting my first experiences in the studio because... Um, I had several gigs where um, it was people who were recording their original musical theater productions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they had kid singers in them, you know, or there were roles for kids. And so it was like, I actually got in a real recording studio and started learning what that was. Um, I had to do a senior year internship. So I decided to do it at a recording studio and actually be a part of the process and learn what did it take to make a real record and record the guitar player separately and the drummer separately or record a whole band live. And how did that work? And how did we set up the mics? And how did we, you know, configure things and, and, and run the sessions and, you know, hook up the, all of the analog gear, like 
This is stuff that like, if you actually want to do this, you've got to find a way to get those experiences. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's just taking the time to educate yourself is the most important thing. And actually we must've triggered something because our audio engineer is in the comment section. We may oh. have triggered him a little bit. Oh, oh, uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> no, in, in a good way, in a really good way. Because oh, okay, like, good. Okay, good. He's like, first of all, if somebody hands you an MP3 and not a wave, don't even bother buying it. And it's like, totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, that's always just funny. I, I saw him jump in and I was like, hey, we're talking your language, right? And then he's just like, started commenting on everything we've been talking about. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so, but. So now that you're obviously in the state of the world that we're currently in, nobody's really doing anything or well playing, playing wise, like playing out live and what have you. Have you been able to kind of find a way to challenge yourself musically throughout the pandemic or what have you been kind of doing? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's always, I fall back on, you know, write about this, write about this, write about this. Um, again, we've all experienced so many emotions and for some of us, a lot of new things, you know, we're, we're going through psychologically a lot of new things that we've never gone through before. Um, and so I've just been like, okay, how do I express this, you know, through music? And I, it also just allows me to take more time to dive more deeply into um, production, because you've got that time, you know, alone, that solitude um, to like get in your studio and really dig into something. Um, it's forced me to actually start putting out some recorded videos of me singing um, more casually, which uh, was kind of a new thing for me, actually, because I everything I've done has always been so formal. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just like, okay, you know what, people are, are home and, and people need music and, you know, Put it out like just put it out don't wait don't even do a, like a an official release just write the song produce it and get it performed live and just let people hear what what's happening for you yeah um so for me again like no surprise like i told you same about my songwriting process in general i think during this time i've just been like okay how can i use emotion to create art to you know connect with people and that's i mean for me that is just what it's all about yeah and i've even just hearing you say that, I think what, maybe you haven't even picked up on it yet. I'd say one thing that you've even learned is how to be a little bit more raw for yourself. Because it's like you'd mentioned everything that you'd done prior had been a lot more formal, like really well produced. And now you've kind of had to pull yourself back and do like informal stuff. And so I think that's a really good lesson to learn that not everything had not the best song in the world doesn't have this have to be this polished thing you know because some of the stuff some of my favorite stuff to listen to music wise is just a single microphone while they're out in the street busking or whatever and it's like they were just really in the moment the song hit them right the emotions were right the vibe was right and it just all works you know hundred percent a hundred percent and um but you know it's funny tom because again i think that like that it really is a product of like letting the inspiration of what's happening to you in the moment move you mm -hmm. and so 
<clears throat> that's why I think it's so important, especially for young artists, any artists, but especially green artists, I should say, yeah. to like find that within themselves and, you know, be willing again to like let the process go through them as opposed to like trying to force something. Because um, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's where the magic is. And you, you hear it in the recording for sure. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so before we jumped on here, you met, or I had had a chance to kind of check out your Instagram. Like, it's one of those weird things where I never know if somebody's more active on Facebook or Instagram. And it always seems to be like an age thing. Like younger people are like, Instagram, and then people more my age are like, no, Facebook. And so it's just like, okay, I guess I got to kind of be on both of them, you know, so I've tried to modify myself. But I've been kind of paying attention to your Instagram and you're doing a lot of really cool stuff on there. Like, um, can you can you kind of explain what you're doing on Instagram? Like you're you're doing some really cool videos on there and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just an extension of what we were just talking about, which is that, um, you know, right now with everything that's going on in the music industry, I kind of just said to myself, hey, it's just time to like get out there and just start putting things up and putting things out. And so this is the most active I've been on social media in a long time because I just realized or maybe not even realized, like I felt a lack of connection with people when the pandemic started so instantly, right? It was like, I just felt like overnight, everything that I was doing to connect with people and music stopped. And so it was like, I was felt moved and inspired to get on my Instagram and just start connecting with people, put, again, putting out music instantaneously, next day, same day, whatever, um, just to kind of express like, hey, this is what I'm doing mm -hmm. to cope with all of these things. And these are my thoughts on all of it. Um, yeah. And look, it leaves you, it, it's vulnerable because it leaves you a lot more open to a different kind of criticism when things are not being so curated behind the scenes where it's like, well, don't say that, don't say this and look like that. And here's all the plans, you know, like you kind of like open yourself up to this whole new world of, um, opinions and disagreement and but again like I think that's important right now I think we all need to be able to like be in the conversation without agreeing I think we all need to be able to hear each other's art without judgment um, so that's sort of my my, my hope um, in this in this pandemic is like more and more artists start doing what I'm doing and getting out on their social media platforms and really presenting more and more authentic versions of themselves um, as kind of a contrast to, again, what I think the music industry has been, which yes. is a lot of just like prefabricated cookie cutter, you know. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. You know, and it's, it's interesting because like right, I'd say probably like the first month or so when the pandemic hit, I was noticing a lot of there's like two different types of musicians that were starting to peer peek their head out there was musicians that had nothing recorded and they were of the mindset oh well we have to start backing off during the pandemic because we don't have anything to showcase we didn't get into the studio so we're kind of screwed until this thing subsides or whatever 
And then there's another type of musician where it's like, well, actually, technically, I guess it would be three for this story to make sense. And then there's the other musicians that just got into the studio. And so they're just kind of going through the post-production process and waiting for that to happen. But then, like, more recently, there's been the third type of musician that's kind of been pure in their head that have just been doing, like, what you're doing, just doing the really raw stuff. Like, I was watching an interview with uh, a lead singer for a band, Fozzy. Um, He started a Kiss tribute band just because of the musicians that he had around him. He was like, you know what? We all like Kiss. We're all within relative close vicinity of each other. Let's do a Kiss tribute band. And so they just started recording random Kiss songs, you know? And so, yeah. Um, But, you know, then just like musicians that are in there doing like self-recorded albums, you know, just all the really cool stuff. And I really enjoy listening to that because it's like, it goes back to the days of when, like, especially when I was coming up, doing like films and it was like taking my dad's handy cam and it's like okay what stupid film can we make right now and you know we'd come up with a stupid idea and we'd make the film you know and so it's just like the DIY by any means necessary you know so well yeah I mean you start to me it kind of like starts to separate the artists from the posers right because the people who have to make art I think in these times, that's why you see them, like you said, they start peeking out. They start like, you know, they start showing up in this new way because they're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this thing. Like, it doesn't matter if I'm not making money. It doesn't matter what's going on around the world. Like I must make art and give it to people. Um, As opposed to the people who are making music and art more as a product. And it's like, oh, there's no marketplace right now. I guess I'll just wait until I can be a product again. the the best example of that is there's this uh, musician we used or we work with when we go down to Florida to do a bluegrass festival. We'll do like media for a bluegrass festival down in the Keys. And we've met this musician a few different times. And right now he's on a hundred and three days straight of doing an hour set every single day, like just live streaming it on his Facebook. Amazing. Like so much so to the point that like once a week the local news covers it wow that's amazing yeah and so like what he does is every day five o'clock it's like a happy hour he does he calls it like a happy hour session or something i forget and so he'll go set up in his front yard his neighbors will come out sit in their front yard he'll put on a block concert live stream it to facebook yeah, I mean, look, there's a there's a perfect music uh, example of, of of a musician that has a why, yeah. right? Like he's doing it because he's like, hey, people need this. I want to bring people joy at the end of the day. I want them to enjoy their happy hour. I want them to relax. Everyone's got so much going on. You know, let me bring people some joy. Help them de-stress. I mean, what a beautiful thing. That's 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 awesome. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a uh, it 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 really goes back to just kind of showing who's really the art well who's like really about the art and not being a product you know yeah so that's just really really awesome and exciting um hold on we just got a question okay i i don't speak spanish so i'm not gonna try and figure that 
So, um, but so kind of moving forward, what's kind of the plan with your music kind of pandemic pending and stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing. Like on my Instagram, I'm on Instagram at the Shana Rose and I'm just gonna keep like letting whatever I'm experiencing inspire me. I'm gonna produce and I'm gonna put out as much music as I can right now, um, even if it's just through there uh, so that people can hopefully, you know, maybe it, they can relate, maybe it, um, gives them a little bit of peace of mind. Maybe it helps them process something that they're feeling or going through. Um, when the George Floyd murder happened, I did a lot of uh, songs about um, unity and, and just um, peace uh, for Black Lives Matter and like whatever it is, whether it's something going on globally or whether it's something going on in my own life, my plan right now until I can like really get back out there and start performing um is just to connect with people and make as much original music and as i can and and just develop the relationship with the fans and and try to figure out how i can best serve them like musicians are our servants in a way you know artists we're we're like our service is to is to build our communities you know and so that's I feel like there's no better time to do that than right now to be a servant of building, helping rebuild our communities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so as we kind of start working towards the end of the podcast, um, we like to add, end every podcast with one big question. Pineapple pizza. Yes or no. <sighs> I feel like it's not a popular answer. It's going to be yes, because like the last three weeks, it's been yes, and it's like, okay. So so for me, it's no. Oh, is it? Yeah. Isn't really? that so disappointing? I know. I wish I was it, more exciting. It's not disappointing. I'm from Chicago. It's like everybody, you know, when, so for like the last three weeks, I've asked that question just like randomly, periodically to kind of throw people off a little bit. Uh-huh. And everybody says yes to pineapple pizza. And it's like, man, that really hurts. Cause like when I grew up, if you ate pineapple pizza, it was just like, not, not yeah, good. What's that? I mean, what is that? I, I, look, my comfort food is pizza. Hands yeah. down. Like if I am hurting, if I am sad, if I'm down, like I am ordering the biggest cheese pizza I possibly can. Like nothing on it, classic cheese pizza. That is my go-to comfort food. So yeah, I just, um, the pineapple, I feel like takes away from the, the like soul healing experience of pizza. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, no, seriously, um, the, re the real question that I like to ask is, uh, why music? Oh, gosh, why music? You know, I recently said something to an artist that I had in my studio. We were working on producing a vocal, and I said, don't try to sing it right. I said, sing it like your soul is trying to escape from your body. And to me, that's music. Music is the way our souls are trying express that they're trying to escape from our bodies 
And so for me, like there's, there's no better, closer, faster way to remember that like we're something more um, than just these like human shells. And I think that as a result of that, it allows us to all connect and vibrate together spiritually. Music is a vibration, literally. It's vibration going through the air, airwaves. And I think that when our vibrations come out of our bodies, whether we're playing something or singing something into someone else, that's when our souls are really connecting. And I feel like there's no more beautiful thing to be a part of. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, where can everybody find you online, social media, all that fun stuff? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at the Shana Rose. Um, Shana is spelled S-H-A-Y-N-A. So yeah, at the Shana Rose. And then same thing on Facebook, um, facebook.com forward slash the Shana Rose, same thing. Um, and that those are the platforms I'm using right now. I try not to get too overwhelmed with the platforms. Um, and then my website is just um, shanamusic.com, shanamusic.com. Awesome. Awesome. Have you tried to do anything on TikTok at all or have you not tried to explain? You know, during the pandemic, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. During the pandemic, I was like, all right, everyone's on this thing. I should try a few things on here. And it really is a lot of fun. But I find TikTok to be like particularly ADD overwhelming for me. Yeah. So I haven't done a lot on there, but um, I, I am on there. Um, but that's not, I, I'm just, it's not my, it's, I'm not a frequent visitor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I I've tried to figure it out and just the algorithm doesn't make any sense to me and just like what <laughs> what what works there it doesn't seem to line up to what we do and it's like okay I'll go there and I'll watch like the funny videos and the like the funny stuff but other than that it's just like okay TikTok. Yes. So. Uh, yes, I'm with you. So with you Tom. Yep. But uh, once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat. Um, really appreciate it. It was a really fun conversation. You know, it's, uh, it's always interesting when I sit down to talk to somebody that I have very little context to who they are, like no previous conversations. But you know what? That's also the fun of it because it's just like, okay, I'm getting – because – like I always hope to get like the real version of people on here, but sometimes you get people that are just very PR and you know, they're like the best PR versions of themselves. And so when I'm right. able to get people on here that are just talking and being them, it's just like, awesome. I really enjoy it. So oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I actually really appreciate it. And I, and I love talking about music. So for me, actually, this is kind of like a gift and, and I'm just, uh, I'm thankful to you. So <laughs> Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, much appreciation. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, but yeah, thank you again so much for jumping on. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys later. <laughs>